Fred. You and I love talking about baseball, but as much as we love talking about baseball, we love watching it in person even more. And I have good news. We're now partnering with our friends over at SeatGeek to bring listeners $20 off tickets for whatever game they want to see. Yes, $20 off. And all you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find the game you want to see. Maybe you want to go to the home opener for the National League champion Phillies. I don't blame you. I wish I could be there. And you're going to enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL and get 20 bucks off. Maybe you're just looking to travel to a stadium you haven't ever been to this summer. See some big league action. Last summer, I got to see Sandy Alcantara. It was very exciting. I've been a big fan. I had never seen him throw. And this summer, I can go see him again. You could go see him. All you have to do is go to SeatGeek, enter the promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL, and you'll get $20 off your first ticket buy. SeatGeek, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. Do it this summer. Go check some games out. Powered by Riverside. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. You missed a good one this weekend. Yeah, that one hurt a little bit. Uh, sorry I couldn't be there. Um, sucked to not be there, but uh, life happens. We're, when we make it reasonably big, we're going to get a shirt that says life happens because that has probably been the most used phrase on this podcast is just straight life happens. So if anybody wants to invest some dollars in the Backside Ground Balls podcast, start it, start making life happen shirts and they'll definitely make their way to at least North Carolina for, for us and our friends. Yeah. And unfortunately, I feel like we use that term mostly for me. Um, but hey, you know, things happen. Uh, and I was under the weather. And that was miserable. So it was a pretty miserable weekend. It wasn't like I was out having fun. Um, yeah. But a great interview. You guys did a great job. And, man, I can't wait to watch Matt Mervis hit. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait, I mean, to watch him play in the big leagues this year. I can't wait to watch the WBC. Like, I know we get to these points with all the people we've interviewed and in reality, you root for them because yeah. you start to build a relationship with them or, and you just realize they're just like, any other human being and any other friend of yours and anybody who's respectful enough to take their free time to just come right. talk for nothing um, is, is something that we greatly appreciate. And I was telling you this, when we end, ended the recording with Matt, like you felt like you had a relationship with them and, and it's just so much easier to root for those guys and, and want to see them do well. Yeah. He, he sounded awesome. And, and, uh, He's really good, and again, I wish I was there. But we'll, we'll get him back on. We'll get him back on. But for anybody who hasn't tuned into that episode, this will probably be dropping on Wednesday morning. Um, that episode dropped on Monday, so if you're a little bit backloaded, don't forget to listen to it. It was a great episode. Matt brought so much insight into you know just hitting his development as a player. His excitement for the world baseball classic and even some current events about the pitch clock and his perspective on that and, and how that's been going in spring training. So, you know, super awesome conversation. It was really, really fun to get Matt on and, and definitely 
probably get him on again at some point, hopefully when he's wearing a, wearing a Chicago Cubby uniform, not an Iowa Cubs. So uh, for this episode, we're, we're going to keep it going with our college baseball uh, recaps that we've been doing. Um, you know, we're going to kind of talk about some of the recent happenings in, in the game and, and just talk about how teams are looking, some preview for this weekend ahead. Obviously, we got our top 10 and, and then just dive in on a couple of teams. So, Dan, you got any opening thoughts before we get into it? Another good weekend of college baseball and um if you're a fan, like it just it feels like it keeps getting better every weekend. And if you're a new fan like me, it's fun to continue to follow because, you know, as we get to this point in the season, three weeks in, you know, you start to kind of see what these teams look like and what a lot of these guys are gonna be for most of the year and they're starting to hit their stride. So it's it's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, one of the things that we talked about before we clicked record here was just how talented college baseball is. Like, I feel like every team has a starting pitcher with a sub one ERA. Every team has a hitter with seven home runs hitting 400. A team we're going to talk about in a little more depth today in Florida has six guys hitting over 350, or should I say the, the one guy that's not is hitting 345. So, what a shame uh, for him to do that. And just looking across the landscape of college baseball, and I think this is something that every week we should emphasize and talk about is just how much talent there is. I mean, you have transfers from Bucknell, transfers from Creighton, just lighting up SEC lineups and hitting in the middle of the order. And just looking at the quality of college baseball across the, the country, you have pitchers that are just unhittable, hitters that are hopefully future big leaguers. And even if they're not, they're, they're definitely making the most of their at-bats as they play on a week-to-week basis. Yeah, and I think that's the cool thing, right? Like I mentioned that last week is that like no matter what team you see on TV or you see something on social media and you go and you look up what's going on with them, like there's someone from somewhere who's got those numbers and is doing something extremely impressive and it's worth going to watch. Like it's worth watching that game just to watch that one arm or that one guy hit. And every team has that right now and and that's just that makes it fun cuz you never know and and um no one's unbeatable, and when you play three games series, you know you watch a college football season, and a team will go fifteen and zero and win a national championship. Go dogs! Um, but you watch college baseball, and like three game series, it's tough to sweep teams at that level. It is especially now we're going to get into conference play. Like you have to scratch and claw, and that makes it fun. That makes it exciting. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. And and speaking of the weekend, we just had to get into a little bit of the results over over this past weekend. We had Florida winning a big series against Miami. That was a lot of fun. I mean, every time Florida and Miami go at it, in baseball specifically, and I know I'm sure it's the same thing in other sports, but there's always a little bit more animosity. They definitely go toe-to-toe recruiting. Miami has that little bit of swagger to them. Florida obviously has the pedigree. But when you're talking about watching games that are look the part of future big leaguers, Florida-Miami gives it to you. Like I don't know if Florida's gun on – ESPN, like I feel like all the guns are light, the radar guns are light, but except Florida's. Like Florida has every arm they throw out there is like 98, 99, and then Miami's <laughs> got like 97, 98, and every other school's like 92, 93. It's just like these dudes are different. Those schools recruit at a different level. And and that was fun baseball to watch when when you have guys throwing 98, you have 
number three starters and on both teams up to 97 and just like how do you get this quality of baseball it was awesome to watch and then louisville with a huge weekend i know they've been in the top five on most rankings and but they haven't really been challenged they went down to the shriners classic in houston with a win over texas a&m and number 11 tcu as well as a solid michigan team that's a big statement win for louisville all three of those to go down there go undefeated take down an sec team to really flex their muscle about the team that they are and that they're going to be the force in the acc and really i mean they're at the top of the acc up there with wake forest competing for for that title Ole Miss went 3-0 in the Cambria College Classic in Minnesota, which was in the Minnesota Vikings football stadium, which is kind of just like one of those quirky college things that's kind of good on the eyes if you if you like that kind of aspect of a lot of purple and throw down bases in a, in a park. But they went 3-0. They beat Maryland again and then took a win over Minnesota and then also Nebraska. So very good weekend for an Ole Miss team that looks as formidable as the team that won the national championship last year. We have Nebraska taking a big win over the Vandy boys on Friday, which is really big win for the Big Ten, really big win for a really good Nebraska team uh, that should be competing at the tops of the Big Ten. But then Vandy responds and goes 2-1 and one on the weekend. Uh, so after a tough loss on Friday, they, they come back and they throw a no-hitter actually on Sunday, which was, which was good for that pitching staff. Texas A&M with wins over Rice and number 18 Texas Tech to go 2-1 and one on the weekend after their loss to Louisville on Friday night. So another good response from an SEC team to come out with a 2-1 and one weekend. Florida Gulf Coast with a statement series win 2-1 to one against Florida State. Florida State was coming off a really good weekend the weekend before. Um, Florida Gulf Coast handled their business and now they're creeping into a lot of top 25s, which is impressive to see. Number 22, Southern Miss breaks out the brooms against a really good Dallas Baptist team. Number 23, South Carolina in what is in a normal year is a really big rivalry. Takes down a rebuilding Clemson squad. Clemson's going to have some work to do. Eric Backage is going to do a great job, but at this point in time, they're not up quite on South Carolina's level. LSU beat Texas 3 to nothing in the midweek and roll homes, baby. The Campbell Camels creep into the top 25 after an 8-2 and two start. So not only my employer, my hometown team uh, creeping into the top 25, and we love to see it. So, Dan, obviously, lots to unpack. You know, coming out of the weekend, any any initial thoughts about some of the games and in, in the, the series that we just covered? I have a couple. I'm going to get the, a couple uh, non-really on-the-field baseball things out of the way. Is anyone else tired of the – Schools have a, a hand signal that they use, um, and then the other team does it to mock them. Like I'm so tired of seeing horns down. We were breaking the U over our thigh this weekend. We're gator chopping in the line after we beat. It. Like I'm so tired of seeing that. It's it's like it's just played out at this point. Every time Texas baseball loses a game, I see some kid running off the bench, flashing the horns down at the dugout. You don't play freshman. Just be happy you traveled to to the game today. Happy you're in uniform coming out of the dugout. Why do you have to throw the horns down? Like yeah, big home run in the Florida game. Like do. We have to snap the U over their their leg. Like I just am so t- like come up with something new. And I know we're no fun here, and we took away home run celebrations, so we don't get to do that. So we're going to resort to this. But like I'm just, it's so boring at this point. Like every if you have a 
like just know if you if your school has a hand signal that they use, the other team's going to throw it in your face when you lose a game. I just so stupid. Um, and then real quick, if there's anybody who's game day ops or turf management or uh, anything of the likes, can you uh, just DM us on uh, Twitter or TikTok or Instagram and let me know how we uh, get that field to work in Minnesota? Like, how are we getting plugs in there so those bases don't move? I know we're not throwing throwdowns down at this level. I know we're not running out there. Like, how do we get our measurements right? What's the mechanics of that? Because I know if this was D2, they 100% would be throwdowns. You'd play two innings with the bases at 89.5 feet. You'd play the next four at 92 feet. Uh, you'd probably have a turf throwdown mound on the field. So the first inning guys would be throwing from 62 feet. Next thing you know, why are we getting our doors blown off? Well, that's because the mound's now 48 and a half feet. So it's basically like playing Little League. So I'm just curious. If we have anyone who knows how we make that work out in Minnesota every year, uh, hit us up because I'm they, super curious. They play their whole season there. That's true. So I just so I just want to know how we, how whole, we do it. Like tear everything up, put in a whole new turf baseball field. Like it could be a whole. They kind of have to turf, in my mind like, because you got to at least have yeah. the plugs in to keep the bases set. You do. Yeah, one hundred percent. You got to have that mound that's secured. So I yeah. know taking forty fives from the you know you can't just bring forty fives from the weight room in the stadium out there, <laughs> throw them on either side of that mound and you'll keep it steady. Especially not the way these. I mean, you watch Ole Miss pitch, you watch their staff and how they use their lower half. You'd be at forty six feet by the time the game ended. So by I'm the just first curious. inning. Yeah, like it, it just wouldn't work. You'd have to have, no, you'd have right. to have two two freshmen at all times ready to run out and slide the mound back. Maybe <laughs> four actually, two to move the mound and two to measure out sixty feet six inches. And then you'd have to have the pitching coach yelling from the dugout, telling them whether you measure from the front of the plate or the back of the plate because they're going to get confused. <laughs> and trust me, I'm saying this speaking from experience. So that's just impressed. I mean, you want to know what I was impressed with that week this weekend? It was every time I saw a clip from that those. That those games in Minnesota, it looked like the bases hadn't moved yet. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But in all seriousness, other than that, that Florida Miami series was ridiculously entertaining. Um, ridiculous. And like you said, there's definitely there's definitely like some extra juice in there that you know those two schools don't like each other. And I'm sure a lot of those kids, you know, I haven't studied over those rosters, but I'm sure a lot of those kids play against each other in high school, right? Um, down there, and and then when they compete against each other at this level, it gets intense and. Uh, that series was a lot of fun and, and the talent that Florida has, I know we're going to get into it is insane. And, um, and then I, I know, you know, Maryland's probably not happy, but I, every time I watch Maryland, I'm impressed just because, impressed. you know, yeah. for years now, Maryland, I, you know, I, I didn't really think highly of Maryland, especially when I was involved in college baseball, just cause they were never producing, you know, at the level, especially when you like, okay, well, you think of Maryland, they used to be an ACC school, especially when you and I were coming up through high school and stuff, and it's like they just never were on that level. But man, I think Maryland's got a really good team this year. I do too. I think I, – I really do think, obviously, the pitching aspect of things is hard. Um, I think their pitching is going to play a little bit better on – against Big Ten competition uh, than it is against the competition. That, you know, they went down to Ole Miss and – Ole Miss is a formidable opponent who's in the top five for a reason. But when you look at their lineup, I mean, Ian Petridge, um, Matt Shaw, Kevin Keister, like they have like a lot of dudes. Like we're, we're going to talk about Florida's lineup, but a lot of dudes that are hitting in that 320 to 350 range with power and 
one through nine. Like there's a lot of lineups in this country that, that have, that just break. I mean, quite frankly, they just rake and Maryland has that feel to them. I mean, Petrich is a stud. He's a stud. And, and, you know, every time I watch him hit, I'm like, dude, this dude, this dude can play. And obviously Matt Charles is going to be a first round pick. He, he right. hit 20 home runs last year and, and 15 plus doubles. And, you know, so he's, he's a player and he's not raking yet. And, and so it's, a, I agree. I, I was very impressed the weekend they went down to Ole Miss and lost yeah. two out of three. And I was like, I like this team. I, I really think they're going to compete obviously in, in the big 10 and, and, you know, hopefully win. And obviously Nebraska is going to give them a run for their money as well. But back to your point on, you know, it's the same thing as last weekend. Like I wanted to give Maryland's lineup love, like Miami might've lost the series, but you know, when you look at that lineup, when you have Johanny Morales and uh, Blake Sear playing in the middle of that order and Blake Sears, a true freshman and Johanny Morales is probably one of the best hitters in the country. Man, do those guys look the part. I mean, Johanny Morales hit a ball. I knew there was 35 mile per hour winds blowing out to left center, but he hit a ball like over the street at Florida's new stadium that landed on top of the roof, which is about 485 plus feet. And like he fills out a uniform. Like he looks like a big leaguer. Like there's like Florida's pitching staff looks like big leaguers. Johanny Morales looks like a big leaguer. Like he fills out the uniform, like everything he does. I mean, he's hitting 467 on the year with five home runs, which, and you know, he's barely getting pitched to. So like, that's impressive in its own. And then you see a guy like Blake Sear, who's a true freshman. He has five homers on the year as a true freshman at hitting 360. Like, it's just really cool to see those, the talent in those lineups, even though those teams might not come out on top because there's obviously, two sides of the ball you got to go into Florida and pitch against I mean I don't think it's a hot take to say the best lineup in the country and it's hard to win one of if not yeah yeah Morales is a a unit I mean that kid is he's ridiculous unbelievable unbelievable I I, I wouldn't pitch to him and it's weird because they came out a little slow in that opening weekend against a Penn State team that's a football school um, right and they realistically could have could have lost two of three um, you know, they had to walk off on Sunday. And so it was just kind of, kind of weird. Um, and then they didn't, you know, they didn't really play anyone the next weekend and, and in Dartmouth, but yeah, I, that, that was a good team and their lineup's pretty good. Yeah. Like you said, no, there's, there, they, they were, I know they lost the series and they, that's a series they want to win and they, they have the potential to win every year. But like you said, that's a, that's a really good Florida team. They went and played and they, they didn't come out looking any worse in my mind. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and speaking of that Florida team, we'll get we'll get into you know I know weekly we've been doing these top tens and you know I hadn't really gotten eyes on Florida, but you know as we look at the top ten this week, we have LSU staying at number one. They just completely and utterly dominated Central Connecticut. Um, why they would even schedule them beyond me, um, but a free trip to Alex box is is a free trip to Alex box. I would take it to to go get my doors kicked in and. and get Dylan Cruz some, some uh, draft video for, for the scouts. That's about it. Um, so they're going to stick at number one there at 10 and one and, and Florida's coming in at number two, jumping over Wake Forest. I know Wake Forest has the 13 and zero, but they haven't been challenged. Uh, and Florida coming out of this weekend, you look at what they have lineup wise, you look at who they've played. They've challenged themselves early in the year. You look at the talent they have, you know, they have a potential number one overall pick and Wyatt Langford. They have three legit arms in the rotation. 
that's a team that can win a national championship. Like I know Florida's been that for a while. Like this is the first time where like on both sides of the ball, like you're talking about a top five team in the country offensively and top five team in the country pitching. And I know their stats pitching wise don't stack up, but we'll get into the peripherals and why, you know, I think they're going to trend in the right direction as they kick off SEC play. Not this weekend, next weekend, Wake Forest coming in at three. Obviously they were number two last week, Louisville. We mentioned their statement three and a weekend down at the Shriners classic. They're up from six to number four. Stanford, they play on the West Coast, which makes it hard to watch consistently, but they're nine and two this year. They haven't played really anybody tough. They kick off, I believe, Pac 12 play this weekend. Um, they're coming in at number five. They dropped one from number four. Tennessee, we're gonna we're not gonna talk about Tennessee as much as I want to because I'm just more and more impressed as they get healthy, as they get in the routine. They've won eleven straight now. They're they're up to six from seven. Ole Miss continues to win, but unfortunately, because of other teams playing well, they fall two spots to number seven. Arkansas, we're going to talk about Arkansas a little bit. Kind of an enigma as I looked at the stats and, and the talent that they have with the record they have, but they're nine and two. Vanderbilt's challenged themselves. They played UCLA. They went to obviously up to Minnesota this past weekend to play a tough Nebraska and a couple tough Big Ten teams. So they're coming in at number nine, even with an eight and four record and creeping into the top 10 is Virginia Tech at nine and two. And they, they were unranked. So Dan, as we unpack those top 10 before we start to talk about a couple teams in particular any things that stand out to you not particularly i think it's kind of what you would you would expect for the most part i mean like you said we you know stanford's hard to follow just because they're on the west coast and they haven't really played in a, in a big game wake forest is going to be the one as they get into conference play to see i mean obviously they're unbeaten right now and they've just i mean we talked about them last week they they do it all they have really impressive numbers on both sides of it and uh how many runs is florida going to score against sienna this weekend my God! <laughs> get you, get you. Hey, guys who haven't played a lot down at Florida, uh, lock in this week during practice. You're probably going to get some at bats. Yeah, like that's what I was just saying about uh, Central Connecticut going down to LSU yeah. for a free trip. Yep. That's what I mean. The whole SEC this weekend. There's really nothing to look forward to in the SEC because they kick off conference play the week after. We have the Pac-12 and the ACC kicking off conference play this weekend. So it's not like the SEC teams are going to Big 12 schools and being like, hey, let's play three. No, yeah. They're all playing cupcakes this week. There yeah. ain't going to be nothing good coming out of SEC play. So, But you mentioned Florida and you mentioned that lineup. So let's get into a little bit of the nitty-gritty on this team. You know, As I watch this, this lineup face of, obviously, like we already kind of pointed out a really good Miami team, you can't help but notice just how talented they are. And obviously that starts with Wyatt Langford. Wyatt Langford's in the conversation for the number one overall pick. He plays up the middle. He shows power. He's currently hitting 438 with six home runs and a 1.533 OPS on the year. He had two home runs on Friday night and both of them were just tape measure shots. You know, when you have a guy of the caliber of Wyatt Langford who's producing at the level that he's producing at in the middle of your rotation, it just takes so much pressure off of the rest of the lineup. And Dan, I got to ask you as a pitching coach, when you're looking at a team that obviously swings it as well as they do, and how do you kind of handle the Wyatt Lag Langford like pitch around, attack him because there's a guy behind him? What do you do with that? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when you would go into a series against a team, you know, at least for me, and and um, you know, sometimes you don't vocalize this to your pitching staff because you just want them to go out there and be be themselves. But you try and be like, okay, this is the guy that I'm not going to let beat us, no matter what. But then when you face lineups where there's two or three of those guys, you just really have to pick your spots and hold your breath, right? And so then it becomes about like essentially like, okay, if we're going to pitch around them and walk them, let's do it in a situation where the two run homer that might happen next or the double might not kill us, you know? So it might be, you know, a lot of times you're working with, okay, we're going to go at him here because if he takes us deep here, then he takes us deep. And like, I'll, I'd rather force him to do that than, than put him on for free. But then there's other times where it's like, we got to pitch him carefully and hope that he's going to be a, an 18 to 22 year old kid and get himself out. And he's not going to happily take his walk every time he, you know, he's going to get himself out. Um, how how loaded is this Florida lineup? You, you're talking about how like when it, their best player is Wyatt Langford, and like I feel like you could argue whether or not he's their best player. Yeah, like that's what's instead. There's three of them, right? There's three guys you could say. And so I guess my question to you, real quick, since we're talking about Florida, is in who's the best player that's out there right now? Who's the best wow. player you've seen so far in college in, in college baseball? Because I think that if you're talking to me, someone who doesn't you know know the college game as well as you do like i just see what, what caglianone's doing every weekend and i'm like this kid's un- insane this kid's insane he's doing it on the mound and at the dish i mean he's got 10 bombs and he's and he's out there chucking 98 yeah Sign i think caglianone up. is is the if we're talking about factoring in both sides of the ball yeah, and, and yeah, shohei yeah. otani impact definitely i mean this dude's d3 two-way and it just being the best player on his team at florida and like Florida, like we're not talking about like Florida Tech, Penn we're State, about Florida, right? Yeah, like we're literally the best, arguably the best baseball program in the country. And you know, I'm a sucker for home runs. I'm a sucker for power. So yeah, Caglianone has been the best player. And on from a scouting standpoint, and from a hitting standpoint, Langford was more impressive this weekend. Obviously, what Caglianone's done right. this year was unbelievable but the body of work the sh- just how he looks in the box the comfortability the not chasing bad pitches i mean caglianone had a rough friday night they beat him with change-ups a lot of change-ups down a lot of change-ups down well i'm watching on saturday first at patty hits a homer on a change-up so good adjustment right that's what best players do but langford wasn't chasing those those exposed me pitches he wasn't going after them and, and just super impressed about what he does but like you're arguing that like two of the best players in the country are in one lineup it's like what do you do with that yeah, I mean that's that's what's ridiculous about it is like it, yeah. two of the best players are in the same lineup, and to me that's why it's like when you watch them, man, it's it's crazy and it's uh, it's explosive. And you could you could say that either like you have an argument when it's either one of them. Yeah, you do, you do, and I mean, not, and not to even scoff at the rest of the roster. I mean, we already mentioned six of their nine regular starters have batting averages over three forty five. It, I mean, tell me if you've heard this stat line before, 350-35, OPS, and no, that isn't Mike Trout's MVP season in the MLB. That's Florida's lineup right now. Right. That's Their absurd. lineup is hitting 350 with 35 home runs in 11 games, 11 games with 35 home runs, 
and at 1.109 OPS. And I think that's the biggest thing. And we're going to highlight a couple of these other guys is when I look at the difference between Florida baseball that even won national championships, right? It was, yeah, they had really good players, right? You have the Jonathan Indias of the world and, and those guys that could play. This is different. Like, they were a pitching and defense team and catchers that could throw and control the running games and not make mistakes and, and just smother teams with their pitching. And we're going to get into their pitching. This is a lineup that by itself can win a national championship. And that's the most impressive part of the adjustments that Florida's made, whether it be recruiting, whether it be through player development. Is there at a point now where it doesn't, okay, we'll go win a week. We talked about with Wake. Last weekend, we can go win a weekend when our pitchers dominate and our hitters don't. Wind's blowing in. It's cold. Okay, well, we'll win with our pitching staff. Oh, on Friday night, we have 35-mile-per-hour gust out to left center field. Well, we're going to go hang 14 on Miami uh, on an ACC Friday night guy. And that's what makes this team. That's why they're, in my mind, officially like they're going to – I haven't laid as many eyes on LSU as I would like. We're going to get to it. They play Tennessee at home in a couple weeks. That's appointment television. But when I watched this team, I said, this is the best Florida team, that most complete Florida team I've seen ever. Yeah, I I mean, like you said, we haven't even started talking about their pitching and and their bats are that good. And then you look at all the guys they run out there on the mound and they're all throwing just – High velo and and just filthy stuff and I mean <laughs> yeah the, the, there's some teams in the SEC because I felt like we were just saying this last week with Tennessee we haven't really talked about LSU who's obviously probably the consensus number one team in the nation yeah. and like if you I mean you could take any of these top ten teams really and you can make a case right because they all have mm-hmm. lineups that look like this and arms that look like this and it's I mean it's in it's insane. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's highlight a couple of the other guys we wanted to point out. So, true freshman Cade Curland is hitting 449 with five home runs and four doubles through 11 games to kick off his college Oops. career. Yeah, <laughs> we already talked about Jack Caglianone. He's leading the nation with 10 home runs while hitting 385 and also pitching on Sundays. Coastal Carolina transfer. I was really impressed with this guy, uh, BT Rappel. Uh, as well, I would say it's, it's close enough. Three, yeah, yeah, three fifty three with a nine eighty OPS. He doesn't have as much in the power department. I mean, he has two home runs, which in most people's minds is good for three weekends in the season, but not when the rest of your lineup has four, five, or ten. Well, when, um, when six of your eighteen hits go for extra bases, you're all right. Yeah, exactly, and and that's the biggest thing is I was so impressed with his presence in the box. I was so impressed with his really his presence behind the dish too, um, handling a really good staff, and he's a veteran guy. And uh, Michael Robertson and Josh Rivera are also having great years so far. Those are the guys that are hitting roughly three forty five and three fifty. So um, for for the bottom of the barrel guys on Florida's lineup. So just pointing out a couple of guys that are obviously performing really well. But let's get into that pitching staff and and Dan as you kind of unpack the just salivating over the idea of having multiple guys who throw 98 to 100. You know, Brandon Sprout was a guy that he is a top-ish draft guy, top 100 draft guy. He's always had polarizing stuff, struggled with the command. I was impressed. Like I said, last night, Friday night was not a good night to pitch. It was 35-mile-per-hour winds blowing out, and Johanny Morales looks like a big leaguer. And what does a big leaguer do with 
when the wind's blowing out like that, they pop a ball 480 feet to the pole side. But he was 97 and 99, flashing a plus slider, exactly what the draft grade says he is. He has a 486 ERA, but he's pitching to a 1.02 whip and 25 strikeouts in 16 innings. So, um, you know, when you look, unpack the stats there, there's definitely a little bit more to kind of lean on that he's probably going to settle in during SEC play and be a legit Friday night guy. Yeah, and when you walk four guys like he did against a lineup as good as Miami's, um, you know, we touched on how good Miami is and how they should feel good. But when you walk four guys, like that's – you're going to run into some problems because then, you know, you put three guys on and then all of a sudden, you know, you look at a stat line, you give up four hits and it's like, okay, that's not bad. But then when you add in four walks against a lineup that good, you're going to get hit a little bit. And that's what happened to him. Um you know, kind of last weekend, but he punches tickets at an elite rate. And so if he does ever get in the zone, right, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Griff McGarry, right, who's still struggling with command at the pro level, but like a guy who like just has filthy stuff and, and he's going to punch guys out. And if he can ever get it in the zone, like you're talking about a guy who's, a you know, a top a top round pick and his stuff is ridiculous. And then, I mean, if you, if you, if you want to move on to the, you know, next arm that isn't Cagliano, you want to talk about – um Hurston Waldrip, look at his strikeout numbers, and he got yeah. he got hit a little bit the other day, but he's punching out double digit guys every weekend like it's not a problem. And we sit here and we talk about how much talent there is at the college level, especially on the offensive side. So when you're punching out ho hum, I'm going to punch out 14 of the 18 outs I'm going to get are going to be punch outs. Coach, I'll take it. Yeah, for for those that don't know, that's Hurston Waldrop. He's the Saturday guy. He is the transfer from Southern Miss. He was dominant at Southern Miss. There's obviously a little bit of a transition from you know Southern Miss plays the top of the top, but you know on a consistent basis facing lineups like Miami. But you know he's a top ten draft guy currently with MLB.com's rankings. The scouts love him. He's got future you know MLB caliber stuff. The seven walks in 17 innings is a little bit concerning, but when you're punching out 33 strikeouts in 17 innings as a starter, I mean, we we gave a lot of credit to Sean Sullivan with Wake Forest, who was punching out basically the same thing. He had 21 and 10, so a little over two an inning. That's unreal to do that as a starter. And, you know, he he also has a 4.76 ERA, but the peripherals are great. Like, that's what makes me think this team – down right. the stretch is going to really push anybody. I mean, I know they're top three consensus. So is it really that much of a stretch in baseball to say that that team can win a national championship? No, not really, not necessarily. But when you think of how much this better this team can get at 10 and three currently with two of the best arms in the country pitching to high four ERAs, man, if I'm in the SEC, I'm not. You, you, you're going into a weekend with Florida knowing your pitchers are going to get torched and you're probably not getting knocks. Yeah, well, and I think for me, just from a, a just a coaching mindset, a little bit, especially at the college level, for me, it was always like uh, the peripherals were what was most important for me leading into conference play. Because at the end of the day, you know, conference play a lot of the times, you know, not from a draft standpoint, but from a winning games at the college level and what's you know trying to get to the win a championship at the college level. Like conference play is where you make your bread, right? And you gotta you gotta win in conference. You gotta win your conference tournament and. and put up good numbers to get into a regional. So you want stuff to be lining up as you get to conference play. So when you look at guys like Sprout and, and, and uh, Waldrip and it's like, okay, well, the peripherals are there. And I think as the starts continue to roll along, as they get into conference play, like 
they're going to start to get comfortable. They're going to start to get into the rhythm. They've been on the routine. They've had four turns through, five turns through um, the rotation. And, and you know, now they've got some innings under their belt this year. And you can see what they're going to be. And to me, it's like, yes, some of the, the command is a little bit concerning. But the strikeouts, like you said, strikeouts play. And if we can just get mm-hmm. them to compete a little bit in the zone. And, you know, when you look at Waldrop's numbers, when you have 27 strikeouts in your last 12 innings, like it's easy to start to convince that guy to play a little bit more in the zone because it's yeah. clearly his stuff will play in the strike zone. So if we can get yeah. you there, buddy, like, okay, we strike out nine throughout six, but you're giving up less runs. Your run prevention becomes greater when you don't, you know, put guys on for free. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for me, like you said, I mean, that makes them really scary. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And and that's going to be a team that obviously once we get into SEC play, we're going to have a lot of opinions on, but there's no reason they're not going to be, you know, competing at the highest level and, and taking down the, the LSUs and the Tennessees of the world. So transitioning to another SEC team, I, you know, as I kind of follow this team, it, it's the Arkansas Razorbacks. Over the past couple of years, obviously our podcast, we all have a love affection for, you know, Matt Hobbs. And, and I think in Dan's room, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see a little love shrine with some rose petals around the picture of Matt Hobbs. Um, because he's the goat and, and everybody has nothing but love for him. But, you know, there's a lot of red flags with this team, Dan, and, and I'm going to run through kind of who they've played. I know they're sitting at nine and two. They beat a Texas team who's now sitting at sub 500, not playing very good baseball, not playing Texas caliber baseball. They lost 18 to six to TCU, really good TCU team. And I think we're still ranking this team based off the fact that they beat a really good Oklahoma State eight, team 18 to one. Other than that, they beat Grambling State. They lost to Eastern Illinois. Now, they won the series, but they lost one game, and they beat Wright State coming out of the weekend. You look as we transition into the pitching staff. The pitching staff is pitching to a 5.62 as a team. Just some guys in the the, the rotation, yes, but also in the bullpen that are pitching to like 30, 40 ERAs. I mean – I trust Matt Hobbs as much as, as much as the next person, and they've been recruiting at the highest of the highest level. But is there is it time to press the panic button on Arkansas? I, I'm never going to be ready in a, in a 56 game season to press the panic button, uh, especially still before we even get to conference play. Because again, a lot of things can shake out, and when you have a coach like Matt Hobbs, like if you if you want to bet on a team getting hot when it matters, like when you have a pitching coach like him, he'll get these guys right. I think the thing that's concerning to me is it's not like it's a lot of free bases. A lot of times when you look at these teams who are supposed to be really good and and then you see their pitching staff struggling, you can point to a ton of free bases. Some of these guys are just getting hit and hit yeah. hard. Like the walks as a staff isn't that concerning of a number. Um, I, I, so <laughs> – I don't want to press the panic button, but like you said, there's definitely some reason to be concerned. I mean, you have too many guys with just ballooned ERAs. Uh, if if Hagen, if Hagen Smith could pitch every uh, every game, they'd be happy. But, you know, you, it's a staff effort, and it always will be. So um, there's definitely some reason for concern, but uh, panic not yet. Well, and it's what's what worries me is they they already lost Jackson Wiggins, who coming out of high school was the top draft guy, um, makes it on campus, pitches out of the pen, he throws a hundred, he's out the whole year with a torn UCLA that or UCL that happens. But when you have a guy like Austin Ledbetter, who's supposed to be one of your really good arms, pitching the way he's been pitching this year, 
that's where it concerns me is the guys that you're supposed to rely on on a week to week basis just aren't doing it. They aren't hacking it. Man, where do you go? And and even Hagen Smith, you mentioned him. He's got 21 Ks in 14 innings, but he's also got 10 walks in 14 innings. When we talk about the peripherals, like there's a little bit of luck to be getting yeah. 10 free bases in 14 innings, almost one an inning, and still pitching to a point six three ERA. So what's the what's the cause for concern with that? Hunter Holen, who's pitching on Saturdays for them, he's pitching to a two point three, but he's not punching out tickets, which is fine. That's fine, but are you going to run that guy in Baton Rouge or Florida, Gainesville? Are you going to bring that guy in, into Gainesville and expect not to to give up some runs when the wind's blowing out the way it was this past weekend in, in Florida? So, you know, when you look at Arkansas, like I hate to say that it's kind of a rebuilding phase, but when you have guys with injuries, when you still have some young guys – it's kind of just a weird transition period for them. And I know in the transfer portal era and in when you're recruiting the talent that they recruit, it's hard to kind of realize that. But it's hard to not look at that what this team is on the paper even and what they've done this year and not think like, you know, this isn't up to the standard that they've been the past couple of years. And that's fine because those teams were unreal and probably should have walked away with at least one national championship. But it's tough to look at this lineup and, and pitching staff and get excited. Yeah, and, I, and I, all those things are concerning. And water, like I said, water's going to find its level, I think. So, yeah, you, you know, I, I think some of these guys are going to steady the ship a little bit, right? And, and Hagen Smith isn't going to pitch to a sub-1 ERA if, he, if he's walking that many guys. His ERA is going to go up, but I – you know, Ledbetter might figure it out and Hunter Holland might start punching tickets. And so I think that, you know, things will start to steady under the leadership of Hobbs. Is that going to be good enough in the ridiculously loaded SEC that we're talking mm-hmm. about and how good the talent is at that in that conference? Probably not. And you might be looking at a year where it's they take a step back. And sure, you know, they'll be kicking themselves if they hadn't gotten a championship and especially before, you know, Tennessee became who they are because that's just another team who's, you know, going to be loaded for the foreseeable future, but also in the era of transfer portal, you can easily turn this into okay, we had it we took a step back this year, but you never know. You add a couple guys next year and you're right back in the mix of things in a in a, a top 10 team in the country, you know, banging on the door of Omaha. Yeah. And and they I mean, their consensus top 10 across the across most outlets that that rank and obviously we have them in our top 10 too, but you know, as I kind of look at the concerns, I, I kind of rely on the Dave Van Horn, Matt Hobbs, like been right. there, done that, what they've been the past couple of years. It's still early in the season, but we're going to find out very quickly. March 24th, 25th, and 26th, they're in Baton Rouge with three against LSU. Coming out of that series, we're going to know whether this Arkansas team is retooling or rebuilding for this year. And, you know, when you have transfers like – you know, they have Creighton grad transfer, Jared Wagner, who's leading the team in home runs with five and batting 415. You know, sometimes it takes a little bit to get in the groove with those guys. Um, you know, another guy that I love is Peyton Stovall, who I think is the next Casey Martin, Heston Kerstad level talent that they have that we're going to be talking about across the country for potential Golden Spikes award. He's hitting 359 with three home runs after struggling as a freshman. He's going to be an absolute stud. Obviously, he's raking right now, but he's one of the best hit pure hitters across the country. So there's definitely some pieces to hang your hat on, but 
You know, it just this team just doesn't have the normal like dominant Arkansas vibe that they've had the last couple of years, which again, that's probably okay because you're looking at a program that has dominated at it, just an elite level for the last pa- past couple of years and sometimes that's not sustainable. And just don't be surprised if they end up winning that series in Baton Rouge. Like yeah, you can oh, see that happening, right? Enough. Like you can yep. see them going down, right? You see them going down there and they win that series. And then all of a sudden we're on here talking about the statement Arkansas just made, but yeah. you're not wrong at the same time. Like, I don't think either one of us are wrong in saying that you look at this and right now there's some things to be concerned about. Yeah, 100%, 100%. So the last team we're going to dive in on a little bit here, uh, we're going to transition into more our neck of the woods. We're in ACC country, so we got to show a little bit of ACC love, and it's the team that creeped into the, our top 10 this week and is knocking on the door for the majority of people's top 10, and, and that's Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, they have a really impressive offensive group. They're hitting 311 with 20 home runs in 11 games and also 18 for 22 on stolen bases. So kind of just a dynamic offense that can beat you in multiple different ways. You know, they came off of last season where they just had a great year. They had multiple guys drafted on day one. Just a really banner, you know, banner type season for Virginia Tech, which was a program that when we were in high school was good. It was really good. They were hosting regionals. And they kind of fell off. And now you're starting to see that, you know, that beautiful field and that beautiful complex that they have. You know, they're starting to invest and and really turn it around. You have grad transfer from Bucknell, Chris Canazaro, with an impressive start to the season with 540 and five home runs. He has 27 hits already, Dan. I mean, again, like I said, you find any team and there's a guy on, on, on either side of the ball that you just are, you laugh at their stats at this point in the year because that's insane. Like, go, you want to have a good year? Go ahead and bank 27 hits in the first three weeks. <laughs> Some guys won't have 27 hits the whole year. This guy's got 27 in the first three weeks. Um, yeah, and I think for, for, me at least, and someone who's new, like who always kind of followed from the outside, there's some trust issues with Virginia Tech, right? They had gone through a downswing and they've lost, you know, they lose the season opener against uh, College of Charleston, who by no means is a bad program, but shouldn't be on Virginia Tech's level all the time. And Bryant, who should never, in my mind, right, you, losing a game to Bryant's tough. Um, but this is a good team, and this is a team that I think they lost a lot after last year and they kind of broke out. And so to, to kind of this is a team for sure that it's like a wait and see and let them get their footing and and could be a problem in ACC play and and I could win the ACC. Yeah. What was really impressive with and and the reason why they did creep into my top 10 over maybe like an undefeated uh Virginia who hasn't really been tested or keeping TCU in the top 10 after they slipped up once this weekend was just the fact that when I look at the lineup and you look at what they brought back talent-wise, that park plays for hitters. They do a great job hitting offensively for player development. you know. And when I saw them lose week one on Friday and saw them lose week two on, on Friday as well, you, know, you start to wonder if there's Friday night concerns. It was a pitching concern last year. Are we just carrying over the problems into this year? I just think dynamic and talent-wise, like there's so much to hang your hat on offensively. Um, but let's get into those Friday night issues. So, you know, both of their losses have come on Friday night, which in standards of like, if we're talking about division one, top of the line, baseball playing against mid-major programs, you kill Friday night, you win Saturday, 
And if you're going two and one against a college of Charleston, which respect to the program they have there, Bryant's going to be competing in the Mac. Um, <laughs> if that's even the conference that they're in at this point. Um, but you should not be losing on Friday night when you're supposed to have your number one on the men. You're supposed to slip up on getaway day and that team's playing for their life. And you're just like, Hey, we're happy. We won. So, you know, Griffin greens, the guy that started on both Friday night, Friday nights, and he's pitching to a nine. And even this past weekend, um, you know, against Charlotte, he gave up like six and three. He had a rough outing again. And, you know, you look at this team and, and you obviously want to buy into the offensive group and what they're going to do, but that, that's that got to concern you a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. And what I was just saying about Arkansas, how they didn't have free base problems uh, as a staff. You look at Virginia Tech and you look at the two starters that don't have good numbers right now, and you look at <clears throat> what's going on, and you look at their free base numbers. And it's like, well, yeah, man, if you're if you're if you're pitching against these teams that we're expecting you to beat and you're putting guys on for free, you're giving them life. Right? Like how do you how do you make those teams that you're better than and that you know you should beat on paper just not even show up is you you don't let them breathe, right? You're relentless in the strike zone because your stuff's good enough. We're giving you the ball because your stuff is definitely good enough to be pitching in this situation and you're good enough to beat them and you should beat them. So just don't let them breathe and be in the zone. So, you know, is that something you can fix? Yeah, sure. Again, we're three times through the rotation. I don't I don't think you panic, but you're concerned because when we're walking seven guys in thirteen innings when you're when you're Griffin Griffin Green, like that's not we that's not good enough if we're giving you the ball on Friday. Right, if you're giving up a hit and inning and you're not punching out guys like he's not right now, you can't. Especially then, you can't walk seven and hit three guys. That's ten free bags in thirteen innings. I don't care who you are; doesn't matter. Those numbers aren't going to play. And then thirteen hits on top of it. So that's where your concern is a little bit. And pitching could be the downfall. Now, as far as free bases go, the rest of the staff, other than um, Argelis, who's you know their other starter, who's gotten banged around a little bit, he's got a free base issue. Everyone else seems to kind of have it under control a little bit. And and that's that's where you need to go. I mean, Drew Hackenberg has been off to a great start this year. He's only walked five and fifteen and two thirds, and he struck out nineteen. Yeah. So there's the but, numbers yeah. that you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Well, from um, from your perspective, let's let's get into the Drew Hackenberg situation. And yes, to our Penn State friends, that is that Hackenberg yes, is his is. little brother. Um, but Drew Hackenberg pitching to a one seven two. He had a great year last year. He's got nineteen Ks in fifteen innings. He's obviously relentless in the strike zone go into kind of two things here. How easy is it to transition that guy into a Friday night role? Is that something that's possible? Or are you taking him off his routine? And is that something kind of to set the, set the tone every weekend that you have to do? Yeah. And you know, without being there and, and really watching that staff week in and week out, um, you don't know. Cause this could be a thing where the, you know, they're, they're, they're probably confident in their guys and, and you're confident that, that, you know, Griffin Green can figure this out and you want to keep him there because it's is it possible though to transition a guy into a Friday night from a Sunday? Yeah, why not? Why not? Just just you know, you you bump up his routine a couple of days. You don't like to do it. If you're gonna do it, it's probably now. Um before you get too deep into the season and he's logged too many innings. That's just a, a me thing. Um but you know, you kind of have to be there. And, and is it something you consider? I, I'd give him another turn in the rotation before I do it. I know you start conference play this week. Give him the conference opener. And then if you have to make the move, make it. Um, but it's never something that you really want to do. But sometimes you have to. Yeah, definitely. And it'll be interesting. If they can figure out the pitching situation, there's no reason that, you know, I mean, we watch, we've 
gotten eyes on UNC. We've gotten eyes on Duke. We've gotten eyes on all those teams, obviously, other than Wake Forest. I think Virginia Tech is uh, the class of the ACC, but you got to figure out those pitching issues because Wake not only brings a dynamic lineup that you guys bring at, at Virginia Tech, but they also bring four really, really good arms. You know, Special. Matt Louder, Josh Hartle, Sean Sullivan's now in the starting rotation and went five innings, punched out 10, and just mutants that they've got right now in their pitching development. Obviously, you have a very good lineup with guys like Nick Kurtz and Brock Wilkin that are both going to be very high draft picks over the next couple of years. So a couple other guys to highlight here for Virginia Tech is true freshman. Garrett Michael is off to a great start. He's hitting 333 with five home runs. And all this is to say that their top draft guy, potential first-round pick, Jack Hurley, hasn't even been at his best. He's only hitting 286 with two home runs. You know, when he gets it going and you kind of balance these guys, obviously you, you assume that uh, Ken Azaro is going to kind of come back to earth there. But, um, you know, Hurley's going to kind of be the potential American that'll be, and this lineup's going to kind of keep going, keep rolling. But once they get their um, pitching staff figured out, that'll definitely be a force to be reckoned with. So, you know, Dan, as we kind of close out thoughts on, on all these teams, do you have any, you know, closing opinions that – that you want to get off your chest before we look ahead to this weekend? I'm just excited for uh, conference play to start up, especially here in oh, the yeah. ACC country. So me and you can get out and get some eyes on these guys. Definitely, definitely. And you mentioned, obviously, looking ahead to this weekend, ACC and Pac-12 conference play kicks off, which is going to be super excited. Um, you know, just a couple series that we want to highlight and that probably we'll be talking about next week. Um, you got Wake Forest finally getting tested going to Duke, which, you know, I know I'm saying finally getting tested. They played two against Illinois that first weekend. Illinois has been playing great. Great baseball. Yep. They went and won a series against Southern Miss that weekend after they played Wake. So I know we kind of sit there and talk about how Wake hasn't been tested. Like that's a really good Illinois team and, and should definitely be somebody that uh that we keep an eye on in Big Ten country. But you know, who knows? We could see Wake Forest go three and zero again, and then we can finally start talking about like is this the best team in the country? Maybe because. I mean, they've looked that dominant. I mean, their run differential right now has to be over 100 through 13 games. Uh, Virginia takes their lightly tested undefeated record to Chapel Hill to play a really good UNC team. You have Vance Honeycup, you have Matt Horvath, who Matt Horvath's been just absolute stud this year. And obviously Vance Honeycutt is, is a superstar. UCLA heads up to Eugene, Oregon to battle the Ducks in Pac-12 opening play. Really good Boston College team is going to be challenged this week. We're going to get to see not only Virginia Tech tested by the Golden Fighting Eagles, but they're also going to Tennessee for a midweek game. So we'll see a lot about that Boston College team. They could either come out of this current week nine and you know nine and five, or they can come out of this week with a formidable eleven and three record. So we'll be interested to see how they handle those tough tests and. Battle of the top teams in Mississippi for the midweek as number 22 Southern Miss travels to Swayze to play number four Ole Miss. Uh, so that'll be a really good battle in Mississippi. I know I, I intentionally put in top teams in Mississippi because Mississippi State is a dumpster fire right now. Uh, coming off a national championship two years ago, they're not in a good place. And you start to wonder, start to have that hot seat.
deep conversation with a guy who has a national championship is is kind of uncharted waters most times this quickly. Um, and then you have an untested 12-0 NC State travels from our neck of the woods, Raleigh, to Coral Gables, where I wish I was, to take on number 17 Miami. So obviously we had a, got good eyes on Miami, but really good NC State teams finally going to get tested going down to hurricane country. And one of the ones that I'll be looking out for that's not ACC or Pac-12 is a really good Iowa team. Obviously, they handed LSU their only loss of the season, and they head to Lubbock, Texas to take on number 25, Texas Tech. I think if there's two evenly matched teams, it's definitely going to be that one, and, and you're definitely going to see a lot of talent. So, Dan, you know, looking ahead of the weekend, anything that stands out to you? Yeah, if you guys want to want to watch a game this weekend, watch uh, Brody Breck throw from, from Iowa this weekend. Yeah. He's he beat good. LSU. He's one hundred and one. He's I, it's it's disgusting. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Ton of good baseball. Super good weekend of ACC and Pac twelve baseball. Obviously, we're going to be kicking off SEC play the weekend after. So that's when we're going to get to the point where this becomes really, really fun. And the college season gets to the point where you know we're talking about Ole Miss, Florida. Tennessee, LSU, Arkansas, Texas A&M, and that's just scraping the the top of the SEC off right there. And then obviously you have the ACC country going at the same time. So super excited for what we have coming ahead. And it's been a great season so far. And, you know, hopefully you guys are enjoying this episode. And don't forget backside ground ball promo code on SeatGeek for any of your live event needs. Uh, you get $20 off your first purchase. So make sure you're using the promo code backside ground ball. We're super excited to be in partnership with Seeky. I know Dan and I are going to be out watching live baseball all summer long, and we're going to be abusing SeatGeek from that perspective. So make sure you guys are too. Go see Trey Turner in that in the Phillies colors and go say K- Kodai Senga in, in New York. Or who who's the other pitcher they signed? Ah. I don't think they signed any other. One. Oh, Jose Quintana. Yes, Jose Quintana. He he had a little rib problem this week. So, um, and maybe Kate Upton will be in the crowd. I don't know why she would be there. Um, but <laughs> other than that, nothing left on the college baseball podcast. Like I said, this is going to be dropping Wednesday. Make sure you circle back and listen to our episode with Matt Mervis. We have a really cool episode coming up this week where we're going to talk with Carlos Colazzo, who's with Baseball America. So super excited about that one. I try to not name drop on podcast before we actually record, but I I slipped up there. It's getting late. So um, if that doesn't happen, I'm just going to have to go repost this episode and edit it out. But that's the plan. So that episode is going to be coming with a lot of draft and prospect content. So super excited with what we're doing. We appreciate everything you guys have done. We wouldn't be able to, you know, be in partnership with SeatGeek if it wasn't for every one of our listeners liking, sharing, subscribing, and and just putting it out there and helping us grow our podcast as best as possible. So we appreciate it and we hope it's the beginning of something very, very big and and much better. So we appreciate you guys for everything. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode.